It's Sunday night, and that means it's time for some wrestling nostalgia. This week, we're going back to the year 2002 at SummerSlam, The Rock vs. Brock. Here comes the pain. It's time for your weekly fix of wrestling nostalgia, when we look at wrestling's past eras, from the Attitude Era, to the Reality Era. I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, but the fact is, it's it's gonna get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. To today. Here on the WWE Podcast. Welcome to the WWE Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on this Sunday, August 4th, 2019, as we take a step back in time. Back to the year 2002, we're going to get to that. Uh, A match that I was very, very, at the time, angry with. Of course, being 17 years later made perfect sense, but being a big fan of The Rock, I was not a, a particularly excited about the outcome of the match, <clears throat> but now we're going to get to all the analysis on that, and it's ironic that the match that we're talking about today is a match that includes a competitor that is still active 17 years later in one Brock Lesnar, so uh, that was not done by accident, of course. Uh, this was in the spirit of SummerSlam season that I'm going to be covering this match, but it's also one of the ones that, regardless of whether or not it was SummerSlam season, I was still going to cover at some point because um, while I may have mentioned it in the past and maybe covered it a little bit, this match deserves to be broken down more, and I'm going to give you guys, of course, as always, some audio from the match so you can relive some moments with me. And my reactions in real time and my thoughts from 17 years ago when I was exactly half my age. So if you double 17, you know exactly how old I am. But I was 17 years old at that time. And we fast forward 17 years later and Brock Lesnar is still on the card. It's just, it's amazing, really, when you think about it. I know that Brock hasn't wrestled a full schedule at all. And he took quite some time off from WWE and all that. But uh, there's certainly a lot to dive into. And not just the match itself, but the crowd reaction and the resulting effect on The Rock after the match that was uh, equally just as interesting and much of a story as this match was. So um, it was certainly a a passing of the torch match. So uh, before we get there, though, guys, thank you so much for joining me. This is the WWE Podcast, the one and only WWE Podcast in an unofficial capacity, of course. I am not affiliated with WWE in any capacity. I do have to say that. I am not. Uh, This is independent of the company completely. This is just a fan broadcasting his thoughts for fans. How about that? And uh, so thank you guys so much for joining me. And uh, don't forget to check out the website at wwepodcast.com. And also, uh, if you'd like to subscribe, please do so on CastBox. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and really anywhere that else, any other place that you can find them. And it doesn't really matter what device you have because I should be there. And uh, But CastBox is uh, relatively new, at least in the last few weeks. So check me out there if uh, you so choose to do. It's one of the more up-and-coming podcast apps. And uh, so is Red Circle. I've recently migrated my entire feed to Red Circle, and I'm really excited to be partnering with them and uh, you know, obviously helping my show grow, helping their site grow. It's a, it's a really cool relationship. So, um, But... Nothing changes for you guys as far as where you can find me. I'm everywhere, but if you do happen to go on Red Circle, I'm also there too. 
And so um, this show is just trying to get it as into as many ears as possible because uh, I'd love to be able to talk to you guys about this. As I always say, it's my therapy for the week. It is my therapy for uh, life and to escape life for uh, an hour or so uh, a few times a week. And so, but just so you guys know my schedule for the week, it is going to be a typical schedule. So today will be Wrestling Nostalgia, and then you'll have Tuesday, Raw Review, Wednesday, SmackDown Live Review, and Thursday, bringing on my co-host, which is Ashley this week, and really excited to have her back and to discuss everything leading up to SummerSlam, including our predictions that will be dropped on Thursday, our official predictions on Thursday uh, for the SummerSlam card that is hopefully not going to rival WrestleMania in terms of length of the show in any capacity. That is certainly not a goal that WWE should try to achieve, for the love of God, please. I mean, when you're falling asleep in the main event of WrestleMania, and I've been watching wrestling for twenty, almost 25 years, it starts to really wear on you. I mean, like, when you, when you again, it's not desirable to fall asleep during any kind of wrestling event, much less WrestleMania. And, uh, to that, that was just, um, I remember just waking up and I had to do a post show that night and I woke up, I like, Oh my God. And the matches, you know, I hear Becky's music playing and I, we, it's not that we didn't know who was going to win, but you know, you had this build and build and build for this match. And damn, I missed 75% of it because I fell asleep during the, the, uh, main event. So, Hey, but it's all about the the numbers and how many people are watching the network and how long they're watching the network for. So it's all about the financials and statistics. So uh, I guess that's where I guess that's where we fall in terms of fans complaining about how long shows are. Uh, but uh, well, one last thing, guys, if you would like to support the show and you don't want to uh, spend any money, well, that's totally cool because you can go to the website wwpodcast.com. And if you do shopping on Amazon, go through the support the show tab. If you go through the support the show tab, you click on the banner, it'll bring you right to Amazon. And all it does is kick back anything that you purchase on Amazon a little bit back to the show. Um, Doesn't cost you anything extra. All it is is simply tagging the show from whatever purchases you make. So um, it really does support the show. And I thank everybody who have done so, so far. It is a, I do see it. It does make a big difference. Thank you so much. And um, we all love Amazon, including me. I mean, Amazon, Amazon's like one of those deals that like, if you have a significant other and they like Amazon, you're guaranteed to see an Amazon package at your doorstep, like once or twice a week. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things, uh, but Amazon is uh, Amazon's a dangerous game. Amazon is a very dangerous game, especially when you're laying there and you're like, "Huh, I wonder how much this is on here." And I bet you, let's see if they have this. Oh, you can buy with one click. Oh, I mean, it it can be dangerous. So I, I totally feel you. But um, if you'd also like a a uh, ad free version of this show, you can go to patreon.com slash WWE podcast. You get a shout out on the show. You get exclusive content. You get ad free, everything ad free top to bottom, no plugs, nothing, just uh, a ad free, smooth listening experience over at patreon.com slash WWE podcast. So uh, just two quick ways to, to really support the show. If you do like it. And I really do appreciate everybody who have, done that and the Amazon link, everything else. So, all right, let's get right into it. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the match here and just kind of the preliminary stuff and kind of setting the table here. Brock Lesnar debuted in 2002. He was the infamous class 
that came up with John Cena and Batista and from OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling. That was their developmental before NXT was a, even a thing, even a twinkle in Triple H's eye. OVW was their developmental system or territory, for lack of a better term. So that class was one of the most star-studded classes to ever come from OVW. Brock Lesnar, probably the biggest name to come out of that. And he burst onto the scene. I remember when Brock Lesnar first debuted. I believe he got in a program with the Hardys. And he came out and it was just, he was ragdolling Jeff Hardy around and Matt Hardy around. And it was striking to see. And Paul Heyman, who you we all knew from ECW, was the advocate or the manager or whatever he wanted to be named at at that point of Brock Lesnar. He was saying Brock Lesnar was the next big thing. That was his tagline. He wasn't really the beast yet, okay? Uh, he, he wasn't, there was no suplex city that didn't exist. He was simply known as the next big thing. And the, the si- sheer size and athleticism of Brock Lesnar was enough to grab your attention. He didn't even have to say a word, and he grabbed your attention. Who the hell is this guy? You know, who is this guy? He's running through people like a hot knife through butter and booked as a heel, rightfully so. He's the, he's the new guy that's coming through, making, making a name for himself at the expense of all of the established stars that we have sat through the Annotator with and come to know and love. And I remember specifically that program with the Hardys and uh, just it was a demolishment of Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy. Just just it was rough. I mean, I remember when chair shots were still a thing, they hit Brock in the head with a chair a couple of times and he didn't go down. He was just I mean, that kind of stuff. And so he grabbed your attention immediately. And he still had Paul Heyman as his mouthpiece. 17 years later, Brock still has Paul Heyman as his for his mouthpiece. It's just it's a combination that. Doesn't really ever get old. I know that I say I want Brock to do new things, and last Monday night he did. Last Monday night he actually came out and destroyed Seth Rollins, so I like that. It's not just him coming around, bouncing around, and doing weird facials, okay? But back then it was essentially the same formula. Brock burst onto the scene, destroyed his opponents, and at some point you're thinking, can he just get to somebody that can go toe-to-toe with him? I need somebody to shut him up. I need to see him go one-on-one with somebody that can handle him, somebody that's been here, our top guy. Let's see it. And what do we get? We get Brock Lesnar going one-on-one, you guys know where I'm going with this, with the great one. And I said to myself, 17-year-old self, Finally, Brock Lesnar is going to get his ass whooped because, number one, he's a heel. And even then, I was smart enough to know at my 17-year-old self, a junior in high school, to know that heels almost never win without cheating. And in this case, boy, was I wrong. (laughs) And that's what pissed me off even more. So we'll we'll get to that finish. But I said to myself, well, if he's going one-on-one with The Rock and there's no interference, there's no funny business, there's no Paul Heyman interfering, there's nothing, The Rock's going to whoop his ass. It just has to be. It has to be. And The Rock, The Rock was a mainstay. The Rock was 
The Rock was Superman at that point. The Rock was the biggest guy on the roster. Yes, Stone Cold was there. Okay. Stone Cold uh, was coming off of his heel run, turning back at this point to a babyface and using his what thing. The what thing had just begun in 2002. That is also a 17-year disease, as I'm sure management in WWE would describe it as, that has not had a cure yet. And so it is a, it's still well, and uh, it, it's alive and well. That disease is just, maybe it's incurable. But it started in 2002 and originated with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think we all know that. But that's... In terms of the landscape of WWE, the top guys were Austin and Rock. Now, it's kind of a shame that we never got to see Stone Cold and Brock Lesnar go one-on-one. We all know the infamous take-your-ball-and-go-home Austin walkout that happened uh, in 2002. And it happened with Austin leaving WWE because he was booked in Atlanta, Georgia to be defeated by Brock Lesnar with no build, nothing. And I understand Austin's frustrations. That is one of the dumbest booking decisions you could ever make is having those two unadvertised with Brock Lesnar going over Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stupid. Stupid. I mean, I, I just, I, was Austin right in walking out? No. But was he right in his frustrations and calling that creative crap? <laughs> yes. Hell Yes. I don't know whoever came up with that and why Vince McMahon approved it, but nonetheless, this is not what this show is about. But as far as the landscape goes, uh, Austin, at this point, while his what thing was alive and well, uh, I believe at this point he had walked out of WWE. So it was The Rock carrying the torch. He had uh, even come up on the roster, and I remember he cut a promo after Austin left and said, you know, Austin took his ball and went home and you can get the F out and all, all this, all this stuff. It's for slights at Austin. And, uh, so, um, this was the guy in WWE, the man, not Becky Lynch. This was the true man, the real man, the rock who was your top guy. And when, if you're a fan of the rock and I still was, regardless of the reactions that he got that night, I was still a fan of The Rock at this point. I was still 100% behind him. I know he was beginning to migrate to movies, which many fans felt that it was they were de- uh, uh, deceiving them or turning he, he was turning their back on them. And I didn't feel that way. I didn't like when he left, but I wasn't pissed when he returned, and I didn't feel like he was a traitor like many fans did. But the reaction that night was, was quite interesting, very pro-Brock, and uh, very anti-rock. And so that was, it, it, it took me by surprise, and I was thinking to myself, what the hell are these fans doing? Like, why? Why? And now I see why. In my elder years of my life, if this was the same scenario today, and it was the, the long-standing babyface, that represented the old version of the WWE, older, and you had this up-and-coming guy that was a monster, and you knew something was there. This guy's going to be huge. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? You're part of. You're supporting the the change, right? You want to be a part of something that is igniting the change in WWE. You're going to cheer that guy. 
he was so much different and was presented so much different and looked so much different than anyone else had previously. Anyone. Could he talk? Not really. Brock gave some pretty bad promos. He, he's, you know, he's not great on the mic. Eh, but look, you have Paul Heyman solve that problem real quick. So, now looking back, uh, so that, that's kind of the setup in the landscape. You have WWE's number one guy, because Austin was gone at this point, taking his ball and going home. And you had The Rock carrying the torch with the undisputed championship around his shoulder. And you're thinking, no, no. If it's one-on-one and no funny business, The Rock is going to beat this guy and shut him up and finally stop Brock Lesnar, the next big thing. All right, so what I want to do is, of course, bring you guys in a little bit. I'm going to give you the audio. This is about a minute and a half, so a little bit lengthy, but worth listening to. The reason I say that is because when you hear the crowd reactions for The Rock and Brock, remember, Brock was the heel here. Brock was billed as this monster, this invading monster that came in and uh, really just wasn't was was in the intruder of WWE, right? You want to see somebody take him down, and The Rock was the babyface. Well, not this night. Again, this was in the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Us, us good old New York fans always got to make sure that the heels get cheered. So you're welcome. But this was a trend that continued. It wasn't just a, ah those non-traditional fans, you know, those uh, this is bizarre world. No, no. This trend continued. This trend certainly continued, so we're going to get into that, too. And don't forget, too, before I get to this audio, this was a card that I want to read you quick, and you're going to be like, oh, my God, I forgot about that, right? And especially with uh, the last match, well, the second-to-last match. So it was Spike Dudley versus Steven Richards. Remember that? Remember Steven Richards? Good old White Sox, right? He was in the RTC, right to censor. Kurt Angle defeated Rey Mysterio by submission. Ric Flair defeated Chris Jericho by submission. Edge defeated Eddie Guerrero. The Un-Americans defeated Booker T in Goldust. Rob Van Dam defeated Chris Benoit. The Undertaker defeated Test. Shawn Michaels defeated Triple H in an unsanctioned street fight. And oh, that, which that honestly is probably worth discussing at some point too. Because of just how awesome that match was from Shawn Michaels' first match back. And and then ending with Triple H trying to paralyze Shawn Michaels. Great stuff. And then obviously Brock Lesnar defeating The Rock for the Undisputed Championship. And one thing I will note as I'm looking down this card here. No triple threats. Amazing. You can have a pay-per-view that has no triple threats. There's no booking crutch. It's not everyone gets a prize for being on the card. For, oh, well, you showed up. Let's stick you on the card somehow. It's who deserves it. What do the storylines call for? What are the fans asking for? I don't see a single triple threat on here. It's all singles match, singles match, singles match, singles match, tag team match, singles, singles, single, unsanctioned, and a single match. One-on-one, one-on-one, one-on-one. That's the way... It should be. It muddies the waters when you have triple threats. It's such a booking crutch, and you got to have everybody in the car, but it's a bunch of nonsense. All right, guys. Well, enough of my blabber, and let's get to that audio from Uniondale, New York, SummerSlam 2002, The Rock versus Brock. Nassau Coliseum, mixed reaction throughout. You can't 
And when that moment happened, I just wanted to say that uh, I was losing my, you know what, uh, as my friends were cheering for Brock Lesnar. I didn't understand why I was such a mark for the baby faces and, uh, you know, especially the rock who I related to a lot. I mean, look, I dressed as the rock. Listen to this one. I haven't told you this, you guys this before. I dressed as the rock to go to a high school dance. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's true. Uh, I wore like a Hawaiian shirt and I had the sunglasses that was as as close to the rock sunglasses as I could find. And I showed up to the dance like that. Oh, no, it wasn't a costume party. No, it wasn't. It was just me trying to show up and be cool. Yeah. I don't know why I was single the whole time I was in high school. Anyway, um, so that's how much I mean, the rock I really related to. and, And so when people were cheering for Brock, I was like, guys. Why? Even my brother, who didn't really care about wrestling much at all. I mean, he didn't give a damn about wrestling other than, you know, um, the if it was like a huge match, Rock versus Austin, Hogan there. I mean, like, it would have to be the top, 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 top household names involved in some kind of huge angle and only want to see the finish. I mean, you're talking about, like, the top of the Sunday, right? They only want to see the cherry on top. Um, so when this happened, I mean, he was into Brock. He didn't even watch wrestling, and I was pissed off. I was like, you know, what is going on? So when, he, when Brock kicked out of that rock bottom, I am like, oh, crap, because you know that Brock is about to give, get his finish in, and the rock better kick out. Well, here's the result of that. So there you have it. I mean, that was the conclusion of the match. And 
Uh, that really, I mean, just brings back so many memories of me wanting to see. And, and part of me still wants to see Brock lose that match because I was just so into The Rock. Uh, he was the guy. And to have somebody new who comes in and, and takes the spot of The Rock in a non-controversial, straight-up, no-nonsense fashion with no false finishes or wonky interference or anything like that. No feet on the ropes. No referee missed a call. None of that. It was a straight-up... Brock beats beats the rock and uh, it, it was it was hard for me to take because the rock had not lost clean to a heel I believe since he turned face I mean when he had the big monster face run and it was shocking it was it was frustrating for me I mean the rock came back as a heel and he played off the crowd and um, that turn from the crowd in Uniondale really cemented his then heel turn and actually followed all the way through to WrestleMania 19 against Austin, which would be Austin's final match. So quite an interesting dynamic there and, and butterfly effect. And having the rock again, lose was just, it was devastating for me. Um, but it was, a, it was a signal of a changing of the guards. I understand that. I know that it was, it was time for a change. Rock was getting more involved in Hollywood. He was, starting to you know open the door to other opportunities uh, other opportunities and and he did and obviously he's one of the most successful and is the highest paid actor of 2019 at like 150 some million dollars or maybe I'm even underdoing it so the rock has certainly chosen the right career path and has also quietly retired from wrestling apparently that's like the news story of the week um and so The Rock certainly made a good career choice. He saved his body. He is making more money than anyone could ever know what to do with. And it was just, it was a signal of, to the fans, hey, there's, th- this is a change, a huge change in the direction we're going. Uh, and I don't know if they plan The Rock being heel, but the fans certainly chose that. And why WWE is so resistant nowadays to turn baby faces heel when the crowd is clearly rejecting them is you know something that's beyond me i won't even name names here because you all know who i'm talking about um you know if they would turn the biggest baby face one of the biggest baby faces baby faces of all time heel you can't just turn you know who heel i mean anyway okay one other thing i really liked about this match too was not just the match itself and the crowd reaction and the resulting net effect of the rock turning heel ultimately staying heel um all the way through until what he he 2004 when he returned to help eugene and uh so he stayed heel for a good year or more after that and through the final austin match at wrestlemania 19 but what i really liked about this match too was the build the build is something i really didn't touch on because Yes, you wanted to see Brock go against a real competitor, your top dog. See what he's got. But the build to this in terms of not just physicality between them before the match and the promo between you know Heyman and Rock, but there was a very, very well-done promo that was pre-taped showing Brock and Rock both training in the gym, hitting stairs at stadiums, doing weights, talking about what this match means. It's something I don't think is done enough. I'm not saying it has to be done for every single match, every single high-profile match. But why not show guys training? 
get them in their real element, their natural element. You know, it's like seeing a, a shark in the wild versus seeing it contained and controlled at SeaWorld. It's not the same. You get to see how they really act and feel. That's the, the, uh, the, the overarching feeling that you get when you see those kinds of training videos because you know they are actually truly training their ass off. I mean, that's a, that's a real deal. I mean, that, of course they are. Of course, it's for trying to make sure that they put on the best possible performance and not actually try to defeat their opponent. So if you tweak that, I mean, you have to. But to see them training in their own element, the things that you know they're doing anyway, and to just have the sit-down interviews, that's, oh my God, so effective. I just remember that standing out so much because we never saw that from The Rock. We never saw that from The Rock. Even in his biggest feuds with Triple H and Stone Cold, Undertaker, Kane, it was always just the typical WWE style of promoting a match. And, you know, that, that formula works. But it's nice to see something that felt more real, something that didn't feel controlled, contrived, and produced. And that certainly did. And if you guys haven't seen it, I really recommend you check out this match. If for nothing else, just the, the build to this match, the promo video for this match was just stellar. To me, that sold it more than any interaction they had live on Raw. It was beautiful. Well done. And I think something that could be utilized today in this very controlled, micromanaged, too polished of a product. It's, it's as almost as if WWE is too good at producing their show. Because if this is supposed to be a feel-good, or a, rather a anything-can-happen-feel type of product, it feels anything but that. Every segment is so perfectly timed and structured, and the interviews are there, and the camera angles just happen to be at the right place at the right time, and the show happens to go off the air at the right time, perfectly, every single day, or every single week, twice a week, just by chance, in a, and in a show at the same time that's supposed to just be anything can happen, yet all the matches work out perfectly. All the promos work out perfectly. The main event ends on the exact time it should. I mean, I understand as a fan, you know the show's going to end at X amount of time, but maybe bring back time limits in a match. Whatever happened to that? What the hell's the point of having a timekeeper at ringside? Is that even a hireable position anymore? <laughs> I mean, how can it be? How can that be a actually a paid position in WWE. It can't be. It can't be because there's no time being kept. If there's no time limit, every match has an unlimited time. Name a sport in which there's unlimited time to finish a game. Please. Soccer? No, not soccer. They have a contrived, very difficult way to figure out the, uh, the, the time they add on, add on to the end of the game, but it's not unlimited. No sporting event in the history of sports on this earth has unlimited time for it to finish. Except professional wrestling. And if you're going to create a sport that is a simulated sport, well, you might want to use the basics of sports that are truly competitive as your basis for constructing a somewhat realistic environment that fans are supposed to be invested in. Just bring back time limits, even if you don't use them. Because it's nice to hear it has a 15-minute time limit. Great. Great. That's fine. 
You know what it does too? And I said to mention this, I don't know, last week or week before. It gives the writers and creative and Vince and everybody else another out, another finish. Because if they, the two competitors end up having a Broadway, meaning a tie, then you have something the fans look forward to again. Why not have things end in a tie? Football, the National Football League has games that end in a tie. That's a thing. So why can't wrestling matches end in a tie? Because it would build anticipation for those two going head-to-head again to find out who is truly the better man or woman. It, it, I don't know. It's so small, but it's something that I think should be brought back. And so, guys, just the short of this is, if you haven't checked out Rob versus Brock 2002 at SummerSlam, you need to check it out. I say that every single time that I have a wrestling nostalgia Sunday night, and this is no exception. If you haven't seen it, see it. If you've seen it, see it again. <laughs> it's so it just it's just so well done. The match itself too was. By the way, I didn't really get into the nitty gritty of the match itself, but it was very physical. These two worked very well. They clearly rehearsed a lot beforehand and got a lot of live time with each other, and that was that's key. They did very well and uh, just, just so well done. And the, the crowd reaction was uh, also spot on. And, and really added to the match, despite my my unhappy and disagreement towards the reaction of the Nassau Coliseum that night. So, all right. Well, guys, I'm not going to head out yet. I do want to go over some of the news coming through on this Sunday night, because there seems to always be news coming through on Sundays. I don't know why. But there's a headline here running through the, the, uh, the, the WWE online universe to use a corporate term that WWE is going to be returning to separate brands when SmackDown moves to Fox. And that I think would be a good thing. According to the wrestling observer newsletter, the two shows will go back to having completely separate rosters come October when the SmackDown live moves to Friday nights on Fox quote, there may be some minor crossover according to the observer, but they will become legit separate brands with completely different storylines. Okay. couple of things here. I'm glad that they're acknowledging that this wildcard rule was one of the worst ideas ever, not just because it was terrible, even if it was strictly enforced and adhered to because it completely threw out the, the sanctity of what the brands meant and the fact that, there really is no brand split if you're going to allow anybody to show up on any show, even if there's a quote of rule of four. But it muddies the waters and doesn't make the two worlds special when they collide. So uh, the other little the problem I have with this, though, there's going to be some minor crossover. If that's the case, if that's the language WWE used, that the quote, there'll be some minor crossover. Well, then there you go again. It's a very slippery slope because once you start having talent crossover, they don't feel separate anymore. It's not special. We've seen it over and over and over and WWE not able to control themselves and help themselves. And they panic when ratings fall and they want to, oh, well, let's just bring everyone together. That's going to help. That's going to help. But you're, you're shooting yourselves in the foot. You're kind of, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face. 
Because what you're doing is essentially saying, oh, there's not enough star power. We got to bring stars over, but we have to build stars. And how are we going to do that? If the stars that we have, the small amount of them are on both shows, how are we going to actually build new stars that can sustain the brand that they're on and not have to rely on these crossover stars to come in? It's all about building new stars. Always is, always will be. Always. And if they don't give the new talent time to shine and time to build their characters and create themselves in front of the audience and build that connection eventually to stardom, and you're just kind of going with the hot shot, bring people over, the ratings are tanking, you're going to do long-term damage. More long-term damage than you would if you just let things go and say, you know what, the ratings are low, but we'll bring them back with our storylines. It's going to take some time. There's a little bit of growing pain that we have to go through, but in the long run, this company and this brand will survive and thrive because we are taking the time to do things right and not hot-shotting and bringing talent over because we're freaking out over the ratings. So I think that that is a a very slippery slope. If someone said that to me, I'd be like, "Well, well, then why even do this? Why are we even doing this if there's, quote, a little bit of crossover? No. It's either you have... No brand split or you have brand split. You can't be half pregnant. You either are or you aren't. It's the, it's, it's the end of the story. I mean, there's, there's nothing else to, con- to talk about and discuss. I'm not understanding WWE's philosophy of, yeah, well, we'll, we'll go back to a true brand split, but there might be a little bit of crossover. Well, no. It's not a true brand split. I don't know why I can't say that phrase. There's no true brand split if you're going to have any kind of crossover whatsoever. Am I right? I mean, maybe they're just trying to go, oh, well, you know, October will be when we, you know, especially the first show on Fox is going to be probably a huge crossover and them saying this is the last crossover show. I'm sure of it. They want as much star power on that Fox first show as possible. And I understand why. Maybe they'll do a reunion show on the first show. Who knows? But after that, they have to focus on the stars of tomorrow. And hey, maybe if they actually adhere to the brand split, That November, when they have their Survivor Series marketing campaign of and and their slogan, because I got to have a cute little name for everything, and the stars always have to import it into their promo some stupid way, is it's the one night a year that SmackDown and Raw goes head to head. I am just daring them to say that this year. I am begging and daring them to, because it's not even pay per views anymore that SmackDown and Raw going head to head. It's every week. So I am, I, I am just pleading with them to say that. I just don't see how anyone in WWE marketing is that dumb to use that slogan this year. But I am just, I'm waiting for it. Please, please. I, I, if WWE does that, I'm not going to be too kind to them on this show. That, that would be, unless they're just trolling the fans. If it's a complete just trolling of fans, then number one, are you, why are you wasting your time doing that? And number two, you, f- you look stupid, okay? You, you just look plain dumb. But, uh, all right. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I just wanted to bring that little piece of news to you guys if you haven't already read that. Uh, some other news that I'd like to get to that's, of course, coming through uh, this all-important newswire, this anonymous newswire, is that Brock Lesnar is confirmed for the go-home episode of Raw tomorrow night. And I think that is... Not unexpected. That's kind of been Brock's schedule since he came back 
is I'll be here when it gets close to the pay-per-view. I'll be here the Monday after. And then everything in between, yeah, you're not going to hear from me. Paul Heyman is going to fill, fill in for me the other three weeks. I'll be there for the pay-per-view the Monday before, the Monday after. And then I'm going to go home and sit on my ranch and my farm and, I don't know, throw bales of hay around or whatever I do. Uh, that, that's been the Brock Lesnar schedule. And you know what, though? Good for him to get paid that many, much money to basically, I don't want to say do nothing, but for that amount of money he's being paid, it's essentially doing nothing. Um, but he'll be there, and that's good. Uh, it's interesting to see, and very interesting, um, at least from what I'm thinking, is how is Seth at least physically going to be selling this injury? That's the key here. What is the official diagnosis from the WWE medical staff. Is Seth going to physically show up? I think he will. How is Seth going to react? After spitting up blood last week. After one of the most talked about and best segments of Raw last week. What does Seth do? Does WWE announcers. Do WWE announcers. Start to tell the narrative of. Hey. Seth's injured. He's got broken ribs or cracked one fractured rib, bruised ribs. I don't know. It's going to be one of the, it's going to be something with ribs has to be. And do they start to play it up that it's going to put his title in jeopardy or his, his chances of winning the title back in jeopardy. Or is it the narrative that they're going to build to have fans rally behind him to try to overcome, not just the ribs, but also Brock Lesnar. And also, at SummerSlam, can WWE please not use the low blow on Brock Lesnar? Can Seth Rollins find a way to actually have a true match with Brock Lesnar? Yes, Brock will be attacking the ribs, and we'll see. We're going to see Seth writhing in pain for ninety percent of the match on Sunday. I mean, it's just it's a fact. Brock is going to go after the ribs and after the ribs and after the ribs, as he should. He's a heel. He should. It's going to piss off the audience. So it's going to be a lot of Seth selling for Brock on Sunday. But I want to know how Seth eventually gets that advantage. Is it the old Braun Strowman way of getting the advantage? Where unless he inflicts pain upon himself, you can't get an advantage. Where, for example, when Braun Strowman would, you know, he would be in a match with somebody, completely dominate them 90% of the way. And the only way that his opponent would get an advantage would be if he, uh, his opponent moved out of the way and he ended up slamming his own body into the ring post. I mean, is it going to be one of those where Brock has to beat himself before Seth can get an advantage? I don't know. I'm very interested to see how Seth is is narrated on Raw, how he sells his injury. I'm sure he's taped up, as he should be. If he's not, I'm, uh, this show is going to be a rant fest with a, a show mark that's explicit. Let me just say that right now. I don't think that they'll miss that mark, but <laughs> I, I've thought differently before. And... How is this match laid out on Sunday? How does Seth gain that advantage on Brock? How does that happen? And ultimately, who wins? This match is intriguing on so many different levels. That beatdown on Monday last week changed everything. It changed absolutely everything. And that's a good thing. I'm praising WWE. I'm praising Brock. I'm praising Seth Rollins for making all of us care about a match that up until last Monday, we're lukewarm at best about. So that's a credit to everybody involved there. The execution, the camera, everything. 
it was uh, very well done. WWE 2K20, by the way, guys, is also going to be getting its first information. There's a, a trailer that's out. But um, we're going to be getting our first information, I think, tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? So those of you that are video game fanatics like I used to be, I mean, let me just say, I mean, I used to bring in my PlayStation 2. I know you guys are hearing a lot about my personal life. So if you're bored by it, I apologize. But it's just bringing back all these memories on Nostalgia Night. I guess it's appropriate, though, right? It's Wrestling Nostalgia Night. I remember bringing in my PlayStation 2 to every single day of senior year. I'm not kidding when I say that. Every single day. I'd have like a Nike sports bag. uh, And, oh no, it didn't have like a lacrosse stick in it. It didn't have my football equipment in it because I played one day of football. That's a real thing. One day of double sessions in August. And I said, yeah, I'm not wasting my summer on sports. I'm like, what do you mean you have to start in summer? You know, school doesn't start for another three, four weeks. Hell with this. And I actually went ironically on picture day and they wouldn't take my picture. And then I quit. (laughs) Oh, that was my football career for my high school. One day of double sessions. And then I said, F this. I got the F out as WWE did in 2002. So uh, anyway, it's like a wrong going joke among my friends who actually did football and were relatively successful. I, I just said, hell with this. I'm not giving up my summer. I love my free time. I loved my free time in high school. I did not want to deal with, what do you mean after school? Everything should just take place during school. I got my life after this, like my real life. Hell, it's like, it's like going to work as an adult in your real adult job and then having people go, oh, we should do something after work. And you're like, yeah, no. Uh, after I leave, you do not exist, right? Uh, like, like this place is, I, I'm only going here because I have to, like, and it supports my real life outside of this place, right? So it's kind of like that in high school. Um and so how the hell did I get on this? But video games in high school, like my life. And I had friends that even if I weren't wrestling fans, loved the video games of wrestling, especially No Mercy. My God, No Mercy was the king of uh, our, our, our um, video game playing in the senior lounge. And I'd bring in the PlayStation 2 or N64 almost every single day, hook it up to this really crappy TV with the, you know, audio video cables and we play no mercy or we played wrestlemania 2000 and then eventually migrated into wwf uh was it shut your mouth for playstation 2 and then uh, we just missed here comes the pain which was also rated one of the best wrestling video games of all time uh and of course james bond 007 on n64 which is rated one of the best video games of all time um, so it was, you know, quite a busy senior year for me. I had a lot to do. Um, so <laughs> there's a little bit of a insight into my very successful senior year uh, when I was 17, 18 years old and played into the exact time frame that uh, Brock Lesnar was champion. How's that for syncing things up tonight, right? Um, boy, I just had a little bit of a back in time machine in my head tonight. I, I apologize for those of you that are just like, I don't want to hear about your personal life. I just want to hear about wrestling. Well, Wrestling was my personal life. <laughs> wrestling was my personal life. And I will just tell you as a side note, I mean, growing up in high school um, as a wrestling fan, I, I grew up in the Attitude Era. Um, I, in 98, 99, when, in 2000, when WWF was at its peak of the Attitude Era, uh, I was 7th, 8th, and ninth, meaning just going into high school. So being a wrestling fan at that time was somewhat cool, although you still had some people go, ah, that stupid fake stuff and make funny or whatever. Oh, it's just stupid or whatever. 
but it actually was cool back then because it was an edgy product. It wasn't a, you know, a soft little PG family friendly product anymore. So it was almost rebellious to watch it at times. And I remember I had friends that wouldn't let their parents wouldn't let them watch it. And, uh, I had to, you know, cover up the shirts I was wearing and, um, there was a show me your puppy shirt that was from Jerry, the King Waller that I remember getting that my mom and dad are like, what do you mean? Show me your puppies. What's that? I'm like, Oh, you know, dogs, you know, so they think it was actual dogs. And, uh, I had a degeneration X t-shirt with that said the two, just the classic one that had two words and, uh, S asterisk CK it, uh, and actually just bought that shirt from WWE.com. So, I'm 34 years old, and I can finally say, ha-ha, Mom, I can wear my own wrestling clothing. <laughs> it's like, kind of like what's old is cool again, so the retro shirts are still cool because it brings people back to a time when they remember when it was cool. Funny how things come full circle. So I have a classic Austin 316 shirt, a classic TJ Generation X shirt, Hulkamania. Um, those old ones that are just still kind of in because they're so retro. But growing up as a wrestling fan, it, it is a, it, it can be challenging, especially for those people that are just think wrestling is just the worst thing that's been ever created by human beings in the history of mankind. I mean, there are people like that who make fun of you. Um, it's especially in high school, people can be ultra cruel. But when you find your niche group that also likes the same things you do, you don't give a damn. It's like F you basically. Right. And so, yeah, I found my niche group, um, which is actually outside of my current group best group of friends and i don't even talk to the people that i used to watch and um talk wrestling with anymore from high school anyway we just kind of drifted apart and it was fun while it lasted but um there was no real connection with them outside of wrestling it just kind of like they didn't like the same music i did they you know they like to do things i didn't like to do um i was actually pretty straight laced in high school i mean while people were talking about and dr- like oh my god drinking and like you know, doing this and that with girls. And I was actually like pretty conservative to be honest with you. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get drunk until I was 19, 19. That's insanity. I mean, at least when you talk about today's standards, I mean, it, and people look at me, you were 19 before. I'm like, yeah, but don't worry. I made up for lost time. That's for sure. Uh, but everything just hit when I was 19. I mean, just everything from top to bottom in my life in terms of the innocence was gone at 18, 19 years old, just out the window. But now you hear people talking and drinking at like 14, 15 years old. That's commonplace. So I don't miss the fact that I did not drink and get involved in all that stuff before I was 19 because I got to live my life as a kid. I got to just you know be innocent for a while and naive and just totally ignorant to the stresses and pressures and being drunk and what the consequences of what that is and just all that. Um, so while I got a late start, I also was able to extend my childhood to some extent and wrestling helped me do that. Wrestling helped me cope with a lot of stuff and it was just mindless entertainment and it helped me find my identity. I mean, I actually hear something, uh, in my high school pep rally, I dressed up as Winnie the Pooh. And had a very brief wrestling match with my brother and a couple of friends. Then it ended up in a couple of stunners. I think a rock bottom was in there. The crowd, I mean, they loved it. Um, And people just said, hey, this guy doesn't give a damn. And you can't give a damn if you're a wrestling fan and take things personally, especially when you're younger. It's not easy to do. You just kind of not give an F. I mean, that's the bottom line. 
So those of you that are wrestling fans out there, I know I'm on a completely random personal tangent about a very brief look into my high school and somewhat personal life. But those of you that are wrestling fans, especially when you remember back when you were younger and are somewhat around my age, understand what I'm talking about. That if, if people aren't wrestling fans, they automatically default to the old, oh, that's so fake. You like that stupid stuff. That's just, it's such a lazy argument. It's just such, it's lazy analysis. It's ignorant analysis because they haven't ever watched the product in their day. They just have seen pictures or watched the little video. They, they have no clue, right? And why don't you, you know, yank their chain on whatever shows they like? I mean, it's the same thing, right? So anyway. All right. Well, I went way off topic, guys. I apologize if you've already tuned me out. I just wanted to, for some reason, share that with you guys. And maybe I'll come up with a little bit more personal stuff because I got a lot of uh, personal experiences with wrestling. Winning tickets by performing a stink face with my brother on stage at uh, an amusement park and winning, like, you know, tickets to a pay-per-view that was held here in Albany. Um, Just some wacky stuff. I mean, it has influenced my life from top to bottom. Every girlfriend I've ever had has not been a wrestling fan. And so that that's always been a little bit of a (laughs) stressor when they don't understand, uh, you know, why I watch that stuff. And um, it's just, it's amazing. Just, there's no other form of entertainment out there in terms of TV shows or movies that gets so heavily criticized as wrestling does yet at the same time, it is one of the longest running forms of entertainment in the history of the world. (laughs) I mean, so it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Um, how quickly when you say the word words, professional wrestling, that stirs up some kind of very strong opinion one way or the other. There's never an in-between like, oh, I don't really know. I don't care. It's, oh, that stuff's so stupid. It's so fake. Or, oh, yeah, I love that stuff. Let's talk. I mean, it's very extreme. So, um, all right. Well, guys, I, I, I just want to thank you for listening and trudging through my personal little live, uh, story there and my tangent. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Or maybe you didn't, and I apologize for that. But uh, I felt like I was compelled to share and like I said, maybe I'll do a little bit more of that if you if you guys want to or or not, and you're just here to listen to WWE analysis. That's cool too. I'm not here to my listen to my life story. Um, but all right, well, guys, I want to thank you for listening again. Check out the website wwpodcast.com, and uh, if you want to support the show, well, here's something real simple: go to support the show tab on the website. I created it last week, and if you do shopping on Amazon. Go to through the Amazon link. It doesn't cost you anything extra whatsoever. It just kicks back a little bit of whatever you purchase to the show. That's it. Um, and it does make a big difference in this show. And thank you so much for everyone who's done it. And and you can also check out patreon.com slash WWE podcast if you want an ad-free experience with every every possible ad removed. It's just gone. It's gone. Like the Rock's title at uh, SummerSlam 2002. It's gone. Um, so you can check that out. But um Guys, uh, I'll be back Tuesday for the Monday Night Raw review, the Go Home to SummerSlam, which I'm assuming and anticipating should be a relatively hot show. I'm looking forward to it, and we will see what happens. And then Wednesday, I'll be back with my SmackDown Live review, and Thursday is my co-host and uh, with Ashley. I'm looking forward to that as well. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me. As always, I'll talk to you next time.